Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. The question for this program is, what is the core, what is the very center of the Christian faith? A story is told <clears throat> in the 1800s, there was a famous preacher in Scotland by the name of Brownlow North. People would flock to hear his preaching. One night he was speaking at a large church in Aberdeen, Scotland. Many thronged to hear him. In the church lobby before the service, somebody comes up and hands him a note. Dear Brownlow, remember me? I was your traveling companion in Liverpool. I saw what you did in Paris. Do you remember what we did in Manchester? And then he listed some sins. I dare you to get in the pulpit and preach to me, signed his old friend. Well, Brownlow North went into the church service First thing he did, he got into the pulpit and he read every word of the letter. And he said to the people, this is all true and even worse. But then one day years ago, I heard my Savior say, Brownlow North, thy sins are forgiven thee. And if there was hope for me, there's hope for any sinner here tonight. The story goes that people began to weep People came up, confessed their sins. People got converted. <laughs> All right. What is the center of the Christian faith? What is it that draws people to Christ? I'm going to teach it's the forgiveness of sins. It's why there's a cross on top of every church. The cross, the forgiveness of sins, is the very center of the Christian faith. Would you take out a Bible? Turn with me to Mark chapter 1 and let us learn about the basic of the Christian faith. Let's pray first. Father, there are probably people watching this show wondering if you can forgive them for their abortion or child abuse, whatever they did that is so horrible in their sight. They wonder if they can be saved. God, speak to us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1, starting at verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's stop there. Do you know what the word gospel means? It means good news. So here's the first lesson I want you to get. The word gospel means Christianity is good news. <laughs> so don't be one of these Christians who walks around looking like you're sucking on a lemon. No, no. The Christian faith is the best news on earth. Have you ever had Teen Challenge? come to your church, we have. Uh, it's a Christian group that helps people out of addiction and alcoholism. They'll come to your church and they'll have a big choir and sing, and then they tell their stories and you cry, it's so beautiful. And, these, and it's not just for teenagers, it's for adults to age 80, I think. All these people getting up and telling their stories of their addiction to sin and how Jesus has set them free. Christianity, the gospel means it's the best news on earth. So because it is, 
Let's be bold about Christ. We've got something nobody else has. There's a, a busy highway that goes through the center of Minneapolis. There are two churches on the side of that highway. One is a very biblical, conservative, non-denominational church. And they have a big marquee because lots of cars go back and forth. They have a big sign in front of their church. And they put up great sayings like, I wouldn't be caught dead without Jesus. Or, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. Just a minute past it on the same interstate is a very liberal Presbyterian church that I think now is flying the gay rainbow flag. But you should see what they put on their marquee. Things like, faithfulness is to friendship like flowers are to a garden. <laughs> or, um, kindness makes the day go better. Well, okay, atheists can say that. You know, let's not be shy. The best news on earth is Christ can forgive your sins and give eternal life. Let's be bold about that and not preach about flowers. Look at verse 1 again. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. All right, let's talk about the word Jesus. The word Jesus literally in Hebrew means Jehovah saves. You remember when Jesus was about to be born, the angel says, Joseph, call him Jesus, call him Jehovah saves, for he shall save his people from their sins. So literally, when you say, I believe in Jesus, you're saying, I believe Jehovah saves me. Next word, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It's a title. The word Christ means the anointed one. And the Bible prophesied in the Old Testament, God would anoint one person to come and be the Savior. And when you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one prophesied to come and save us. And then look at the next part of verse 1. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, what does it mean when we say Jesus is the Son of God? Aren't we all sons and daughters of God? Well, we're not the Son of God. And the word Son of God means Jesus is divine. Now, um, it's a mysterious phrase at this point. It won't be later in the Gospels and in the New Testament we clearly come to understand who Jesus is. But the title Son of God is a, is, is a hint that Jesus is God. We'll find that out throughout the rest of the Bible. Look at verse 2. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, next lesson, the words as it is written means Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. Mark is going to quote Isaiah chapter 40 now. It's written 800 BC. And as it is written means Jesus fulfills the Old Testament prophecy. When I was in high school, and my first year of college, I was a Christian, but I really started wondering, is there any evidence to what we believe? And then somebody gave me a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. He takes you through all the archeological things they've dug up that affirm the Old and New Testaments. He takes you through the prophecies written hundreds of years BC that Jesus perfectly fulfilled. Like Psalm 22, written 1000 BC, in detail predicts the crucifixion of Christ a thousand years later. Same thing in Isaiah 53. So uh, it's good we have these things. It's a great book if you need it. Look at verse 2. 
as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, now he's quoting Isaiah, Behold, I send my messenger, that will be John the Baptist, who will prepare before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now I want you to notice something here. here here's what I want you to notice. The word Lord in Isaiah 40, that's being quoted by Mark here, in, in Isaiah 40, 800 BC, it referred to God. Here, in the New Testament, it refers to Jesus. And, and catch that. This happens a number of times when an Old Testament verse referred to God. It's requoted in the New, New Testament and applied to Jesus. So again, we're starting to get hints here. Jesus is no mere human. He is human, but he's God in human form. But the doctrine of the Trinity, one God and three persons, that won't become clear for a while, but you see the seeds of it here. Verse 4, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance. Here's the next lesson. The way to prepare for Christ is to repent. The word repent, the Greek word is metanoia, to change the mind. To repent means you change your mind, you change your behavior. And the best way to get more of Christ into your life is to change your mind and to change your behavior. So, I was doing a radio show with people calling in their Bible questions. And this lady calls in, you know, Pastor Brock, I have been praying, Lord, draw me closer to you. But God doesn't seem to be answering my prayer. Wouldn't God want to answer a prayer like that? And I said to her, well, yes, you would think so, wouldn't you? But I said, what if you do this? What if you pray, God, draw me closer to you, and then you spend the next four hours watching soap operas? Or what if you pray, oh, God, help me lose weight, but then you eat a box of Twinkies? <laughs> it ain't going to happen. I know this. <laughs> so the point is... Um, there needs to be repentance in your life. You can pray all you want, but if you're not dealing with that one area where God is putting his finger on, I don't know that you expect him to move much in your life. So let me just stop and ask you this. What area is God putting his finger on in your life, saying, I want you to deal with that? The way to prepare for more of Christ in your life is you repent. You actually do what he tells you to do. <laughs> Verse 4, John the Baptist was preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Now we get to the main point of the sermon. The core of Christianity is the forgiveness of sins. Let me do a quick little church history lesson. The most famous reformer in the history of the Christian church was Martin Luther. In 1520, he started the great Protestant Reformation. Right after him came the second great reformer, John Calvin. John Calvin preached and stressed the sovereignty of God, that God controls all things. Well, Luther agreed with that, but that's not what Luther stressed. Luther knew God was sovereign and it scared him. Luther wanted to know, is God merciful? <laughs> and then he had his great conversion. You probably read of Luther's conversion. He was a guilt-ridden Catholic monk. And about 15, 17 maybe, he's reading the book of Romans. He discovers we're not saved by being good enough. 
we're only saved by the grace of God, by what Jesus did on the cross. And when he knew his sins were forgiven, not because of what Luther did, but because of what Jesus did, he said this, I felt as if I had gone through open doors into paradise. I felt myself to be born again. You know, I agree with Calvin that God is sovereign and all-powerful, but that's not what we stress. The main thing we stress is God is merciful. He's a forgiving God. Again, that's why the cross is on the top of every church. It's the thing that draws people. Therefore, if Christianity is the forgiveness of sins, it makes no sense when you hear people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I refuse to forgive that person. What they did was unforgivable. You can't do that. You have, I mean, God's forgiven your millions of sins. You have to turn around and forgive what your husband or your wife did. Now, I, I know it's a process. I know it can be very difficult, but the Christian faith is the forgiveness of sins. I will tell you this, years ago, I was a youth director. We took our teenagers to camp in the summer for a week. The evangelist one night preached on the forgiveness of sins, that if, if God has forgiven you all your sins through Christ, God expects you to forgive others. We, we left the chapel and this 13-year-old boy named Brian comes up to me, kind of shaking, and he said, Tom, can I talk to you? And I said, yes, and we went and sat down and he said, I refuse to forgive him. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, my mother and my brother and I were watching television. Her boyfriend busted down the front door of the house, put a rifle to my mother's head and killed her, turned to my brother and I and said, and I'm gonna come back and you're next. That man is now sitting in Stillwater prison and he's gonna be getting out eventually. And he said, I refuse to forgive him. And I'm kind of praying, okay, Lord, what do I say to that one? And it, the, the story came into my head, the parable where a king forgave somebody a million dollars and that same person went out and wouldn't forgive somebody else $10. And so the king threw the other guy in prison. And I, I told Brian that story and I said, now Brian, um, God has forgiven all of your sins through Christ. Will you turn around and forgive this man for what he did to your mother? And Brian said, no. And I said, I, I guess I can understand that given what happened. But I said, Brian, do you know who the Holy Spirit is? The Holy Spirit is, is God who lives inside of Christians. And he gives us the power to do things we can't do. And I said, Brian, are you willing to ask the Holy Spirit to help you forgive this guy? And at that point he said yes. And I remember leading him in, in a prayer. He prayed after me and God, not by my power, but by your power, the Holy Spirit, I forgive this man what he did. And later that week at the campfire, students were getting up giving their testimonies and, and Brian stood up and he didn't go into detail, but he just said, God set me free from something this week. The central thing of the Christian faith that draws people to Christ is the forgiveness of sins. There was a bishop of Constantinople by the name of John. This is 580 AD. John got into a heated argument with a nobleman by the name of Nicetus. 
Well, later that day, the sun starts to set, and Bishop John knew the verse, do not let the sun go down on your anger, and he sent a note to Nicetus, and the note said, dear Nicetus, the sun is setting, <laughs> and Nicetus also knew that Bible verse, ran to the bishop, they got reconciled before the sun went down. Christianity is the forgiveness of sins. Here, years ago, a Zulu chieftain's wife came to Christ, got converted, went to church. When her husband found out he was irate, forbid her ever to go to church again. She snuck out of the house. The husband hunted her down, found her in church, dragged her outside and beat her, thinking to leave her for dead under a bush. Later, wondering if she was dead, a few hours later he went back and there she still was. And he said, and what will your Jesus Christ do for you now? And she looked up and said, he will help me forgive you. The center of the Christian faith is the forgiveness of sins. Look at verse 5. And all the country of Judea was going out to John the Baptist and all the people of Jerusalem, and they were being baptized by him. Now I want you to notice something in verse 5. All in verse 5 simply means read the Bible in context. Did every single person in Judea and did every single person in Jerusalem go to get baptized? Well, the answer is no, because we know a lot of people didn't get baptized. But, but it's, when you read the Bible, in a sense, you read it like you read the newspaper. And if the, the Minneapolis newspaper says, all of Minneapolis is upset about the tax hike, <laughs> well, does that mean every single year? No. So, you know, don't be ridiculous with the Bible. When you read the Bible, you can tell when it's being literal, when it's being figurative, and all, all does not every, always mean every single human, but it's the way we all talk still as humans. So uh, read the Bible in context, and verse 5 says, they were all coming out to him, being baptized in the Jordan River, next words, confessing their sins. Next lesson, to confess means to agree with. The Greek word for confess is homo logeo, literally to say the same thing. So when you're confessing your sins, you're saying the same thing. You're agreeing, God, what I just did was wrong. I agree, you're right, I'm wrong. To confess means to agree with. And notice in this verse, they're confessing their sins during baptism to John the Baptist. And later in uh, James chapter 5, it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So let me ask you an important question. Do you ever confess your sins to anyone? I think every Christian needs a priest. And by that, I don't mean somebody necessarily that wears this, but you need somebody to confess your sins to. Martin Luther, who was Roman Catholic and then got kicked out of Catholicism, uh, Martin Luther disagreed with the Roman Catholic teaching that you have to confess your sins to a priest to be forgiven. In fact, he quoted James 5, confess your sins to one another, and he said, strange priest, this one another. So it doesn't have to be to a priest. But I hope you have somebody you can talk to about your sins. And if it's a priest or a pastor, so much the better. That's fine too. But do it somewhere. I got a phone call recently from an older pastor. 
and he's seen our TV show, and I have a whole TV show on my struggle with same-sex attraction. And so he knows about my uh, struggle, and he said, I have that too. And we had a good talk. And I'm not sure of this, but I wondered as he was talking if he had ever talked to any about this in his whole life. And I basically said to him, that's too lonely. You got to find a Christian friend or a little Christian group that you can talk to, confess your sins, hold each other accountable, but try, don't try to go through Christian life alone. That's true for everybody listening to this TV show. They were confessing their sins to John the Baptist. Let's look at verse 6. And John the Baptist was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist, and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me is coming one whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. He is one who is mightier than I. Here's the next lesson. Our job is to point to Jesus. When people made too big a deal out of John the Baptist, he said, no, 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 I'm not worthy to untie the shoes of the person who's coming. And so when people make too big a deal out of you, you point them to Jesus. There was a man named Jim Jones, started out as a Christian preacher, and then got into this cult-like status where people tried to worship him, and he loved it, and he accepted it. And then in 1978, 909 people killed themselves for Jim Jones? No, no, no. When people make too big a deal of you, you point them to Jesus. And then verse 8. I, John the Baptist, Baptist, baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, the Christ, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to notice there is the cooperation of the Trinity. One God and three persons. God the Father sends the Son. And then the Son will come and send you the Holy Spirit. And again, the doctrine of the Trinity, that there's one God and three eternal persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that won't become clear for a while. But you see the beginning of it right here and in the first paragraph of the Gospel of Mark. All right, so let's summarize this. What is the center of the Christian faith? What is it that draws people to Jesus Christ? It is the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, if a person is struggling with the trinity of who sits on the throne, God the Father or God the Son, what would you say? Yeah, somebody wrote that question in and he, you know, he believes in the Trinity, but so who's, who's God? Who's on the throne? God the Father? Well, in the New Testament it says Jesus sits at the right hand of God the Father. So, and you know, I, I don't want us to be overly literal. Are there three thrones up there? One with the Father on it, one with the Son on it, one with the Holy Spirit on it. If you go into some of the ancient cathedrals, they have that. They have the Father, the Son, and the dove representing the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, I don't know that that's what's really going to happen here. But again, the Trinity is there's only one God in three persons. Like ice is water, snow is water, steam is water. One substance in three forms. 
Well, the Father who made us is God, Jesus is God, the Holy Spirit is God. All three are eternal, all three are God, but only one God. That's beyond our noodle to understand, but it's the way it is, yeah. Are there any good books for someone who's struggling with believing in the Bible? You know, I was grateful to find when I was uh, doing my own struggling in my college days, a book called, um, Are the New Testament Documents Reliable? by F.F. F. Bruce, and he was like a Princeton scholar, and he explained why the New Testament is verifiable. Then there was a, another book by Josh McDowell called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and if anybody's watching this show and you wonder if there's any truth to Christianity, archaeology really has proven a lot of Old and New Testament things, so you can get Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell, Are the New Testament Documents Reliable by F.F. F. Bruce. Does a person have to forgive somebody if they don't ask for it? Yes. I mean, I, when you see on TV a family who their loved one has been killed and now it's time for them to talk to the murderer in court, you see two very different things. Sometimes people get up and say, I hope you burn in hell for what you did to my sister. And then you hear other people get up and say, I... I'm so hurt by what you've done, but I'm a Christian and I forgive you for what you've done. We are required to forgive people that sin against us. Again, that's not saying it's easy or it's a process or something we can do on our own, but it's something that God requires, yeah. Well, if, do you have to forgive someone if they sin against you over and over? Well, the, the answer is yes, but that doesn't mean you have to hang around them. I mean, Jackie, if you've got a husband who's beating you within an inch of your life, do you have to stay in that house and get beating number two? No, you do not. And, and so I think, you know, I, I know some people that I don't hang out with because they're difficult people. I've forgiven them, but uh, that doesn't mean I have to spend time with them. <laughs> okay. If there's a person that I have forgiven, but I don't spend time with them anymore, does that mean I truly haven't forgiven You know, him? I've heard people say that, well, you know, what I just said, well, Tom, I mean, I'm thinking of a certain person who's been difficult for me for years, and I just don't see the person anymore. Have I forgiven that person? Yes. Well, no, you really haven't because you're not hanging out with them. No, uh, you can forgive someone without spending time with them. <laughs> so, yeah. If a person's tried to forgive someone but they can't do it, what should they do? I, I think that's, I mean, Jackie, I'll tell you what I do. Let's say that somebody snips at me. I will forgive them in prayer by the Holy Spirit, not my power, but by the Holy Spirit. I think prayer is the way you forgive these people. How about closing in prayer? Time? Let's close everybody. Let's just pray. Lord, we do pray for anyone who is struggling with whether you can forgive their sins, that you will help them know that Christ died for all sins, for abortion, for homosexuality, premarital sex, pornography, that all sin will be forgiven when we repent and come to Christ. May everyone do that this day in his name. Amen. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the Pastor Study, 
Would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week. <music>